ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Monday Night Travel on Nightlife. In the ever-evolving landscape of Australian travel, there are new figures from the Tourism and Transport Forum of Australia shed light on some interesting shifts. For example, New Zealand. How did that happen? Has claimed the top travel spot over Bali, marking a significant change in travel preferences among Australians. I mean, Bali's got enduring charm. It's great value. 14% of Australians, though, are now looking beyond, with New Zealand emerging as their most favoured international destination. Uh, The transformation isn't limited to international choices. 36% of Aussies are now opting for holidays within their own state. One in four is exploring their own country. And the shift's not just about where, but also how, as the travel style of Australians continues to change too. The cruise industry is back. They've, uh, after following COVID, of course, which knocked them around, and indeed the travel industry everywhere, it's got new ships and new markets and so on. The person who's across all of this is Margie Osmond. She's the Chief Executive of the Tourism and Transport Forum Australia and joins us this evening. Margie, good evening. Welcome to Night Love. Thank you so much and good evening to you too. Well, there's nothing wrong with with the Kiwis. I mean, and New Zealand's a terrific destination. You wonder why it's <laughs> taken, why has it taken them so long? <laughs> well, I think what we're actually seeing there is quite a bit of remaining visiting friends and family. That's normally what we see across mm. the ditch. Lots of New Zealanders come here and stay with great auntie Nellie and don't spend too much. Mm. Um, Australians, however, spend a huge amount of money in New Zealand. So we're in well, very important it's good, Well, it's advan- advantageous for us mm. to spend money there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. So um, from New Zealand's perspective, Australia is an incredibly uh, important um, port. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think it's also a reflection of the fact that while people are prepared to travel, there's still a big proportion of people who haven't joined the Europe or bust group mm. and want to get away but don't want to go too far out mm. of their own backyard. Well, I mean, also New Zealand's easy and there's also there's an extraordinary range of... I mean, there's a lot of things to do in New Zealand. There's a lot of things to do I mean, in New do, they do it and they do, they do their high-end tourism stuff really yeah. well, much better than we do it here in Australia. I, I think that's true. I think their lodges, with a couple of notable exceptions here in Australia, are really, a, you know... Outstanding. Fabulous global yeah. standard. I think the other thing too is that they're much more advanced than we are in um, having a very mature approach to their Indigenous tourism offering over there. It's one of the big opportunities for Australia going forward to get a bit more effort into that space. And the food's fabulous. And let's be frank, the wine's outstanding. Mm. No, no, I agree. I mean, you go to a place like uh, Queenstown in in New Zealand, for example, and there's a million, I mean, particularly as a family destination, it's fantastic. It is. It is. A lot of things to do. I mean, look. And if you like the outdoors... You know, why would you go anywhere else? Well, I could apply the same thing to Australia, to be perfectly Mm. frank. I mean, Mm. we're a pretty schmick destination for all of those reasons as Mm. well. And I think what's interesting about the survey data now is what it's telling us about people's willingness to see more of their own backyard. And surprisingly, some of the age demographics, much younger people, are saying Australia is a better place to be than going somewhere else. Mm. I mean, the big attraction of Bali always was that it was overseas, it was foreign, felt foreign, you felt like you were overseas when you were there, and was also astonishingly cheap. <laughs> well, look, over the next 12 months, the sort of, why, you know... Why has that changed, do you think? 
Oh, look, I think lots of people have been to Bali, yeah. you know, and I think it's also about this fresh and innovation and uh, somewhere that is perceived as being a bit more exotic. So as a consequence, what you've got on the list is, um, you know, Europe, New Zealand and Japan. Mm. Japan is the big surge factor. I think, you know, in the same way last year everyone you spoke to was going to Europe, this year it's going to be everybody's going to Japan. But is there much value in I suppose the, the, actually the yen's devalued a bit, hasn't it? So it's probably, it's is it, again, well, I don't know. I don't know what it's doing against the Australian dollar. Right? Look, overseas travel is pretty expensive, period, at the yeah, moment. Yeah, so I think yeah. uh, regardless of where you're going. But Japan is definitely the winner. And it's not just the skiing in Japan. There seems to be a, an interest in the wider exotic offering of, you know, yeah. another culture. That's true. That's true. I mean, you know, Kyoto is one of the most visited places in the world, probably being loved to death by like lots of, like lots of locations. But there are plenty of other things to do too including walking, as you say, outdoor activities in Japan are interesting. Beautiful, yeah. wonderful mm. temple trails, you know, mm. those gorgeous little monkey things. What are, what are they, the baboons that, that they have in the snow country that exist in the, the hot springs? You know, I mean, everybody's seen Joanna Lumley doing Japan <laughs> and that's it, they want to go. Of course. Australians are, I mean, we like travelling. Uh, we always have. We're far away at the other end of the world, so we have to oh, go look, places. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, mm. we do love to travel, but I think the interesting thing for me is, you know, two of the standouts for this year is going to be people under 30 have discovered western parts of every state. So mm. as a consequence, places like Dubbo uh, and Broken Hill are seeing a lot mm. of interest from much younger people who might not necessarily have been interested in that before. And as you mentioned, this is the year of cruise, and it is definitely the younger people who have suddenly discovered cruise, and they're not talking about going too far afield. They're probably talking about just going around the coast of Australia, but they're mm. getting on a cruise ship. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's an interesting one, cruising, isn't it? Because, you know, there are all the criticisms that have been made of it as, as to its environmental impact, of course. I, I mean, just, in fairness, I suppose some of the cruise companies have tried to address this. I don't think it's possible to be in the tourism sector yeah. now and not be conscious of the sustainability issues. And to be honest with you, the cruise industry has been doing an enormous amount in that space. Mm. It's like the aviation sector. You cannot now not talk about sustainable aviation fuel and the very critical need for Australia to have an industry in that space that mm. makes SAF. Because we're I mean, there's not much they can do about it, though. So, I mean, you know, the truth is that diesel fuel is is uh, is a, is a an essential requirement for powering ships and the same that aviation fuel is for aeroplanes. I mean, we don't have good answers to that at the moment. SAF is an excellent answer regardless of whether it's cruise ship or whether mm. it's aviation. It's but, still burning fuel though. Well, but, you know, yeah. uh, in the absence of any other technology that makes it yeah, easier or better, to be honest with you. Oh, no, I, I, t I grant that. I mean, yeah. it's just... But uh, look, you know, you, you look at the big players in the field now, they're mm. all putting hundreds of millions of dollars into SAF development, mm. even to the point where... Um, some you better the, explain what them, I and you and I understand it. What, what, well, explain sustainable what? aviation fuel mm. means that it, it radically lessens the carbon footprint of whenever you go anywhere. And increasingly now what's happening in, in the corporate world in particular is, um, you know, many people in Europe, their companies are stipulating that if you're going less than 400 kilometres, you must get a high-speed rail option that is perceived as being more sustainable and mm. not fly. Now, that obviously has implications for... For a destination as far away as Australia, whether it's leisure or whether it's business. And the events industry, so business conferences, for example, are already feeling a massive impact on their capacity to bid for major business events because mm. of these issues around carbon and what it means to sure. 
companies that are interested in sustainability, as they should and must be, and travellers. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to uh, be negative about it at all, but you know, there are ethical issues that did not that aren't didn't exist before about about extensive international travel. Don't well, you? What do you think about it? Uh, look, I mean, I, think, I mean, the argument would be if you don't need to go, you shouldn't. Well, but I think which, that which... <laughs> equally, I mean, it, you know, look, this is the most um, competitive uh, global tourism market mm. the world has ever seen. Sure. So clearly the vast bulk of people still want to get out and about and experience things. But experience is the critical word there. Mm. I think the sort of consum- conspicuous consumption of doing 20 destinations in 10 days is a thing of the past. People mm. are much more conscious now of slow travel and sustainable travel. Every major hotel you talk to, uh, they will be telling you about their sustainability plans, as will the airlines, as will, um, you know, national parks, as will cruise ships, everybody. So I think the industry is doing the best it can to mm. be uh, the right carrier for people who are still clearly very determined to travel. Yeah, yeah no. and, and travel brings all sorts of benefits, as we know. Uh, not just economic. Margie Osmond's with us, Chief Executive of the Tourism and Transport Forum Australia. We're talking about the latest uh, look at travel trends. Uh, I mean, many people, whenever we run travel segments as we do regularly here on the program, of course, lots of people say, yeah, but why don't you talk some more about travelling inside Australia? But we're doing mm, it. We are. We are. Uh, and look, I think... I mean, not we, we the program. We are doing that too, but, but yeah. we actually are travelling more inside Australia. There's we? no doubt about it. Mm. And I think, interestingly, um, you know, one of the big winners... Uh, is Queensland. Queensland is everybody's destination du jour, mm. you know, every day of the you week mean not the just the, But you mean not just the reef? No, no definitely not just the reef. Mm. Um, it, it, there's an overwhelming, overwhelming interest in the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, and obviously far north Queensland for a range of reasons. And I have to say, while we're on the subject of far north Queensland, please, everybody, if you've got bookings for far north Queensland, don't just cancel them out of hand because you're worried about the weather. Mm. Do check because the weather is a fluky thing and not mm. everywhere is affected. So it's really important to double check. But... Um, yeah, look, people are genuinely discovering more and more to do with their own country. And that in and of itself creates some challenges for governments hmm. because what we're seeing now is people wanting to go to particularly regional destinations which perhaps didn't get the same number of travellers before mm-hmm. and it creates a whole series of issues for regional communities in terms of available infrastructure, everything from electric charging capacity for electric cars through to appropriate public toilets mm. or enough accommodation or restaurants or whatever else it might be. Mm. So it, it's going to mean that the nature of the tourism offering is going to change quite dramatically, I think, across the face of the country as those infrastructure issues become very pointy. Mm. Who's doing it best, do you think? Tassie? Oh, gosh, that's like asking me to pick a favourite child. That's not go fair. On, go on. <laughs> I think they all have something to offer, Phil. Um, I would Here say, you, yeah. Um, look, Queensland does incredibly well yeah. because I think it's got you know the best mix, particularly mm. for the vast bulk of the mid-range travelling public who've got kids, mm-hmm. uh, the family offering, and um, you know it's got the Olympics coming up. There's lots of pluses. That's Tasmania um, tends to be viewed as, in the words of the New York Times a more moody and gothic version of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, so probably, it's probably a fair description. It's a, a very fair description. Mm-hmm. And you have amazing wines and things down there and really interesting things to do and see. So mm-hmm. Tassie wins across the board. But I think what you're seeing 
now is a difference in the attitude towards investment in the space. What about because one of the great one of the great places of Australia, and I'm saying that because I, I've never been there, but everyone, and I, it's you know I, I've got to go, but I can't find a time of the year when I can get away to do it. But is is of course the the northwest of Australia, the western or northwestern Australia, western Australia. All I mean, most of Western Australia. Uh, Monkey Mia and the others we know about, but up in the Kimberley in particular, mm, mm. are some of the great sites of Australia. Extraordinary. And, and most Australians have never seen them. Or the Northern Territory in many yeah. instances. There most are Australians have never had extraordinary things to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, look, too, it's hard to get to, isn't it? No, it's not. Um, yeah. I think the, the issue there is a capacity one. Mm. I think in places like Darwin, for example, what's really exciting now is Qantas is going to be flying direct Darwin-Singapore mm. and they're putting an Embraer base into um, Darwin, which will make it a hub for a whole lot of areas in that Southern Asia region mm-hmm. through Darwin, which is going to be terrific. Um, I would say to you... Darwin's amazing for things you you possibly Mm. don't even know about. The Darwin Festival is a cracker. Mm. It is Mm. so good. And um, the street walks in Darwin, I have to say the street painting, the street art in Darwin is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. But if you've never been to Uluru to go and see the new drone uh, exhibition Mm. there that's running in conjunction with the Anunu, the local people and voyagers, that is an absolute once-in-a-lifetime bucket list piece. Mm. And having done a bit of time myself, um, travelling around in the Kimberley Broom, those parts of the country, you are quite right. That is special. So that's why I say to you, I think Indigenous tourism is going to be one of the great leading opportunities for the sector going yeah. forward, and it's how we work with First Nations people. It's a good point. It's a good point. Margie, always good to talk. Thank My you. My pleasure entirely. Get off on a holiday. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.